Welcome to the Soul Path Sessions podcast with Deborah Mainz Pearson and Brenda Littleton. Brenda is an educator and counselor rooted in Jungian and eco psychology. She helps her clients understand the importance of the mind, body, spirit, and earth relationship for healing. Deborah is a licensed psychotherapist and has been trained in traditional and sacred psychology, exploring from the ground up what makes our human experience meaningful, wholesome, and enlightening. Deborah and Brenda invite you to accompany them on a soul path journey as they explore the possibilities of living a more soulful life as therapists, seekers, and lovers of fate. Welcome back to Soul Path Sessions. I'm Deborah Mites Pearson. I'm here with my friend and fellow therapist, Brenda Littleton. And today we're going to be looking at the soul of our relationships and how to get along in our relationships, especially with those people we might share a home with and call family mm-hmm. or anybody that's in our intimate space. So that's what I'm interested in. Well, you've been reading Terry Real. Yes. Or Real, I guess. Real. Real. Terry Real. He's mm-hmm. about our age. He's in his 60s. Okay. And, and um, I know that his work has interested you, and there's a few ideas that I'd love to know more about. Okay. And I know that you're in the in the initiatory, um, mulling it over, and yet it, it, it really has seeped and saturated you. So yes. while we may not be doing a treaty on Terry Real, we are going to investigate with respect to his work in being with relationship or yes. in relationship. Yes. So I love to hear more about the idea of um, the sense of not being right. I think you had some... Yeah, so so, so, so much of what yeah. he talks about is when we enter a relationship with another human being, we're going to bring our family of origin right into it and the way we defended ourselves and and stayed okay which was our last podcast Mm -hmm. um and we have these um we we marry somebody or we're with in an intimate relationship we're in fantasy and the minute we hit reality they show us um that they think differently than us and then we deal with that in a way that uh can be really brutal to uh our, our adrenaline and we tend to go into automatic behavior right hence why you and i have a job working with, <laughs> with family systems and so one of the first questions he, he says i'm not so interested in the problem i'm interested in where that person is inside like how are they hooked up because if I'm talking to a couple and that person's activated and they're in the limbic or emotional center of their brain acting out childhood trauma, it doesn't matter what topic we're on. It's going to be at a much reg- more regressed place. And that's typically what we see mm-hmm. in our own relationships and as therapists. We see the topic could be anything. It could be the holidays. It could be how you spend money. But if I'm doing it from a place of woundedness, and if I'm doing it from a place of regression, we're going to have the same old argument again and again and again. So he points that out. Like, where are you coming from? His supposition is, if I'm coming from my prefrontal cortex, my wise adult logic center, I have the capacity to be the following. I love this list. Nuanced, wise, realistic, forgiving, flexible, warm, yielding, and humble. That's the wise adult, folks. 
Okay. Where does that live? <laughs> well, that lives in the prefrontal cortex. Okay. It's the ability to weigh and measure, to hold yeah. one more than one idea, to use discernment, uh-huh. to manage emotions, to be aware of the feelings of others, as well as my own feelings. That's really what distinguishes adults from children. The wise adult, I can imagine that I'm having an experience and you're having one too. So it's um, a sense of generosity and compassion and mm-hmm. having a sense of belief that um, you may be in a contrary conversation and you're not going to lose yourself. Yeah. And this idea of the, the <laughs> guilty is charged. Winning is a big um, strategy that we tend to get into with other people and it's really not efficient. His focus has largely been on working with men. Um, and couples. And in our culture, in the patriarchal culture, it's about being top dog, winning, Mm. um, keeping the ego safe. And it's not about cooperating. It's about me first and getting out of there unscathed. And so he talks about the you and me culture versus the us, the title of his book, culture. And he appeals to the sensibilities of a lot of busy people when he says, Uh, practicing nuanced, realistic, forgiving, flexible, warm, yielding, and humble states of mind is more efficient. In the the long run, the short term in the long run. Yeah. Right. For the relationship. Yes. So you're coming into the the idea, I'm um, in in nonviolent communication, I'm a facilitator, and Mm -hmm. the idea is that you both come in with the intention of love and compassion and working things out mm-hmm. as opposed to being right regardless of what it you know what it is that we're going to go through yeah so very different well directive. you know we start off with that idea but then there's a, a button that's pushed okay and our reflexes we don't even get a chance to think we go right into how we protected ourselves from assault mm-hmm. i mean if, if my frightened self is going to take over and you're now going to be the enemy. You're going to be the other. It's not going to be about us. And I wouldn't even consider that maybe you're regressed too. Maybe you're, you've gone offline. Maybe you've had a hard day. Mm-hmm. Maybe something work didn't happen at work or you're not feeling well. See, children can't take that perspective unless they've been trained in it to know that parents are separate from themselves and have their a bad day and maybe, uh, aren't reflecting their best selves unless the parent tells them that. So learning how to take the other person's perspective or at least create space for it is a huge breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, we've taught active listening for years as therapists, but what he's really saying, it doesn't matter if you're creating room for the the patient conversation of parroting what your partner said and reframing, reframing it. If you're activated, you can throw it out the windows. You're going to say, like, looks like you're feeling sorry for yourself. Am I right? You know, active listening isn't going to work. So it's much more a conversation about me and you trying to become us and the awareness that I've got to get back online and be very generous. So how does one become um, observant of when when they're in the the freeway of emotion of being activated. Like how, where are the stops? Where is, where is like, if I say with the metaphor, the freeway, where are the off ramps to be able to get off that track? Well, one of them is to recognize the red flags. Um, It's escalating. Names are being called. um, Stonewalling. I don't want to talk to you. Contempt. 
defensiveness, the things that John Gottman talked about yeah. in uh, the seven principles of making marriage work. It's like, oh, those are, when that happens, it's like weevils in the oatmeal. You don't want to keep going. So being mindful that if it's escalating and it's not working out, yeah. that would be a sign we're off track. And he normalizes that we're going to get off track. It, I'll use myself as a guinea pig. I work with a lot of couples, but I'll use my own couple. I can tell when Michael does something and my blood pressure goes up. Right there, um, he said something and I'm activated. I'm now offline. My choice, especially having read this book and, and learning from it and being reminded, we need to be reminded of these things because we don't get reminded enough in our culture that we can get activated and it look like high blood pressure and, you know, headaches, clenched fists and headaches and deep hurt, pain and wanting to run. Sleep apnea. Sleep apnea. And in the moment, just like what my body's going through, I feel defensive. I feel contempt. I, I feel criticized. So what I do instead is I soften and take a breath. And now my adult, when I take a breath, like Buddha's brain, the book, Mark Hansen's book, mm -hmm. I immediately signal to my heart that I'm not being chased by crocodiles. When I signal to my heart that I'm not being chased by crocodiles, my amygdala stops sending messages to my brain that I am in deep danger and I am thinking from my limbic system, my emotional brain, which then allows my brain to tell me I'm safe, which allows my adrenals to calm down and stop pumping adrenaline so that I want to fight, flight, fix, or freeze. Fawn, the fawn fawn. as yeah. well. Yeah, and fawn make it all better. So when I become aware of that, I can stop and soften. And then when I take the breath and I take a step back, okay, really, sometimes I'll literally take a step back. And then my I wait for my adult. And because I've preloaded some of these thoughts, I'll say, he's activated or he's not activated and I'm activated. I can literally assess who's activated. If he's activated, like he's <laughs> he yelled at me the other day, you're being so impatient. <laughs> You're just not patient. And because I'd read Terry's book, I said, I took a breath and I thought, he could be right. Instead of going into my typically regressed defense posture, I just looked at him and I said, You're right. And he looked at me like, What? <laughs> I'm not used to that. And and I thought, I would rather be free to quote my teacher Ramdas than right. Yeah. I was annoying. I couldn't see how annoying I was, just smashing into things, trying to get out of the house and forgetting half the things I was, I was running out. This He was right. And then I create room for his point of view. Okay? I'm not, as a woman, I was raised in the time, era of feminism, which says the guy is trying to crush you. And I learned to be harsh. Mm. And one of the things that Terry says about harshness. We all received it as children. Almost all of us did. That there's no redeeming value in being harsh. Mm. So I'm looking at that too as a major principle. Could I have learned as a child without someone yelling at me, calling me a name, being impatient with me? Being harsh. Being harsh. So stop, drop, and roll. And I just let go of it. I just let go. He said I was impatient. So what? And I just kind of riffed on it. And he kind of went, yeah, I'd like you to really remember your phone this time. You know, because you come up the stairs, you leave it nine times out of ten. I'm like, you know, you're right. I do. And honestly, Brenda, it felt like just it just rolled off my yeah, shoulders. You don't have to carry it. 
I don't have to care. I don't have to be right. What a burden. And that's the ego burden. Yeah. It's just like saying you carry all this burden, all this weight. You have to maintain the sense of um, protection and being right. This is what, he, what Terry's list of what the adaptive child. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking you've been having a very tight, high, dense load of patience. Yes. And, and it's interesting that you are impatient when you are like full of patience. <laughs> That's my yeah, young as a, part. Exactly. As a therapist, yeah. I sit with this, my wise adult. Yeah. My wise adult breathes, takes time, does mm-hmm. a lot of listening, mm-hmm. enters the stream uh, in a very different way. And that's really important for all of us to be aware of. I have my professional self and most of my clients are like that. They do fine. They're very successful people. Yeah. They know how to work with their clients. They know how to work in their businesses and run things. It's when we get home that we regress mm-hmm. because I'm going to take off that mask and put it on this door and I'm going to be the child now. Yeah. And you're going to take safe. care of me. <laughs> so what does Terry say? That well, I, Terry's I, talking I, about the adaptive child. Yeah. When I've learned to be, when I'm activated, this is how the brain goes. Black and white versus nuanced. Perfectionistic versus realistic, relentless versus forgiving. Like I'm going to fight you tooth and nail to the ground. I learned to do that with two older brothers who teased me. I just get in there like a Wolverine versus forgiving, rigid versus flexible. Like maybe part of what he's saying is right. And Mm -hmm. I benefit from it. Harsh versus warm. Think Mm -hmm. how much distance there is Mm -hmm. between the two. Maybe he cares about me. See, my activated brain would never think that Michael cared about me. He's been critical of me. Like yeah. my brothers were critical to me. Yeah. And when I really, I just want to do a commercial for it. Maybe your parents didn't abuse you, but your siblings might have or mm-hmm. somebody else in the family. Um, hard versus yielding. Like if I'm just staying on this place or just yielding, yield the position. That's an, an adult. Certain versus humble. So much healing happens with humility yeah. when the ego burden is literally heavy. When I go, I can be wrong. I can be late. I can be ignorant of something. And I still have a right to exist. And it's all okay. I mean, you may not want to perpetuate it, but the idea is that there, I think you said the key word is I could benefit from this. I could benefit. And this is a hint for all of us. If I'm tight in my body, mm. The somatic, the soma, mm-hmm. I am going to be black and white perfectionist, relentless, rigid, harsh, hard, certain. So I need to take that breath. Yeah. And I, I need to take a step back, maybe go wash my hands, listen to the podcast, listen, read the book. There's lots of resources, but I'm really down the rabbit hole with Terry because he's really, he's a seasoned therapist like I am. And to know that I can listen with love and interest, uh, David D. Burns' work in the Five Secrets of Effective Communication, it begins with, I can validate what the other person yeah. is experiencing. Yeah. If I were you, I'd be you. I can ask questions about it. Nobody thinks to do that when you're activated. Like, tell me more about my impatience and how it's upsetting. I'm curious. Yeah, and the idea of those questions, a sense of curiosity, <clears throat> it feels like that's the language of prefacing us versus me. Yes, because once I bring you in, 
you have your own way of seeing the world that could benefit me and you are alone in it. And if I join you, even if you're like with people who have Alzheimer's or any kind of dementia, they they don't recommend saying there's no flying monkeys on the wall or, you know, (laughs) or Uncle Bert is not standing there. It's like, what is Uncle Bert saying? What that, what I'm experiencing at that moment is my reality. If you join me in it with love and patience and empathy for that's what I'm experiencing. So the idea of why it's attracting you, like the idea of it's grabbed you. Um, you find a lot of validity as, as I do as well. Mm-hmm. How is this living? Like, how can you apply this, um, say with children or, um, yeah, you know, within the family? Well, we don't need to be harsh with our kids. Yeah. We can ask them what they're going through. We can validate their experience. Mm-hmm. If they come home and say, I hate my teacher. Um, rather than, oh, your teacher, I met her back to school. I'm back to school. They're just fine. Dismissing, you know? Yeah, I want to drop out of soccer. A lot of my kids are saying, uh, the parents are like, they can't drop out of soccer. We invested it. You know, they're going to be yeah. team player. Ask them what they're going through. Don't, you're not in it to win it. Yeah. You're going to join them. I feel tired. I don't want to go to practice tonight. Ask more questions. What's it like for you going to practice every night? Mm. Uh, I can't get my work done. That's got to be difficult. I don't have time to be, you know, just to relax. Well, that's got to be hard. Inquire. Many times when you inquire, because generally they hire me to inquire gently, the kid will say, I'll say, so you, are you saying, because I'll ask a question, does that mean you don't want to play soccer anymore? No, I, I like soccer. I just don't want to be doing league soccer. I'd rather just play at the school. Mm-hmm. I like soccer. Or I'd like to take this season off because I really like to read. So the idea of valuing what's going on in one's life, not dismissing it. Well, yeah. we get so frightened as parents that if they get off the beaten track, we brutalize them. Mm. And so often what we're here to do and is nurture our children, guide them at, in a conversation that is non-critical and empathic, and then set healthy limits from that place with them together and not what what you're explaining is feeding the back line in my uh, my dialogue about when we teach our children when we show by modeling that we dismiss our children mm-hmm. as kids they learn that their real thoughts their ideas, who they are, their needs are dismissed. Mm-hmm. And this is what you do with these parts of our life. When we mm-hmm. have a need, my parent dismissed it, mm-hmm. um, are not fully engaged with it. Mm-hmm. I was encouraged to give it up for their needs. Um, mm-hmm. So as you mature, you take that conditioning with you so that when you're older and working in, in a profession or in a relationship, um, you're you've learned to rely on the the facility within yourself to dismiss your needs. Yes. And not even to know their needs because yeah. in many cases where children are helicoptered yeah. and essentially rewarded for being better than everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that, that sense of inflation. I see kids who are suicidal because they're really good at what they do. They're awesome students. They're awesome athletes. And 
they are saturated with this idea that if they couldn't do those things, they'd be unlovable. So they either become bullies to themselves or they, they achieve these heights and bully, they grow up to be bullies to their children. Yeah. I'll and only love these S, these elevated parts. As well as all the somatic issues that <clears throat> mature by 40, 50, or sometimes they erupt when we're in our 50s, like irritable bowel or mm-hmm. um, the immune, autoimmune, things like that. I see our yeah. kids checking out yeah. when they're overly helicoptered. They get to an age, it's usually adolescence, uh, when they're going to rebel and they find something to numb. So they'll find, uh, oh my gosh, everything, um, alcohol, <laughs> pot, you name it. They'll take grandma's pills. They'll take anything, but they will drop out completely because there's no place for them to have their own thoughts, except yeah. the thoughts of they have their, the parents' thoughts. And like Khalil Gibran says, your children are, they really have their own thoughts. They come from tomorrow. And we seem to be so frightened of their thoughts. If we create room, I remember with my son, Zach, he was quite a different thinker. And I had to stand back when he'd say, I don't see why I have to go to college. What's this college thing? It's such a drive. And I would have these long conversations where I'd listen to him like, what else would you be thinking? What, like, tell me your thoughts about it. He yeah. says, well, I can learn on my own. And we went way down the rabbit hole with what interested him. And it was quite frightening mm. because he was saying things that- Frightening for you. Frightening for me because he said, I don't see why I can't just live in nature and read books. And I'm thinking, he, that's don't we call that houseless, homeless? And I'm having all these fantasies, but I, I learned to stay with him because he would, he was such a strong kid in this. Um, he would just shut down and do what he wanted to do anyway. So I went along for the ride and I found that he had beautiful thoughts. Yeah. And I just asked him questions like, so if you live out in nature, where would you live? And have you looked into shelters? And you didn't go to university. And if you changed your mind, how would you go about it like with that? So it can lead to these beautiful, brave conversations that are nuanced. I got to tell you, that's how I lived my life. Ah, like Zachariah. Uh, Yeah, I did. I didn't go to college until I was 40. See, and you're here. I'm here. And I lived out in nature and I read the books. (laughs) And I, you know, yeah, so... um, it is possible. You see, I think we need to see those things. I think there's such a tight narrative in the patriarchal view that we must yeah. get ahead of everybody. Yeah. I, I just paid for Zach to get a bachelor's degree for eight years while he took every elective and explored his musical career. So he ended up getting some of that, living yeah. up in Humboldt County, and really got to explore his wild sides, which was great. I love it. <laughs> Until he was 40, and then he became yeah. a psychotherapist. I know, me too. You guys got to talk. Um the little attention or the atten- the adjunctive, I should say, um, outcome of this conversation is in my larger work of um, working with people um, in how, how they abdicate their own self-worth yeah. is many, most of us have all been taught from our, our parenting, you know, our primary caregivers or or school or society or the concentric circles um, to dismiss that inner work that Mm -hmm. what you've just been describing and it leaves this imbalance but it does create this need for validation but we don't give it to ourselves we look for it outward and we crave it Mm -hmm. we actually because we don't own it ourselves we haven't been able to 
Uh, we haven't been val- validated. We haven't been encouraged to believe and, and value who we are and what we say and how we want to do things. And we were having all of these discordant uh, you know, pressures saying, no, do it this way. So when we're older, <laughs> we tend mm. to not have that stealthness inside and that sense of belief. Mm-hmm. And we do abdicate, and we, but we still have the same appetite but instead mm. of self-fulfilling it we search for the outward we we go outside mm-hmm. to validate mm-hmm. and that's where we hook up with a lot of issues that allow us to experience these things to then create discordance and and heartache and grief to come back eventually to that line of self-care because we 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 travel all those places all those positions outward and we we get those those uh, those attendant lovers that that um, can build us up and suck us dry because we don't know we have an experience from within ourselves mm-hmm. what that looks like and feels like you know yeah. we 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 need the outer. I love the, when I'm watching you because what you're doing is your hands are coming to your heart, mm-hmm. and they're saying when you know when you're in, when you're going in and you're, you're you know what you need and you desire, and then your hands go out, and so that is. The, I call that the point of power. When mm-hmm. I take the point of power away from what is heartfelt yeah. and close to me, and I place it out in you, uh, then I'm going to be disappointed because Absolutely. I just gave you my passion. Yeah. It's like Zach, I'll quote one last time before we're done. He said to me when I bought him the last set of oil paints, and he'd given up painting for music, and he said, if you love painting so much, why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. Which I started. Because I realized I wanted a son who was an artist, but I did not, or at least when he showed an interest in art, I thought that was fabulous. And when he gave it up, I was heart sick. And when my son handed it back to me, yeah, it first I was insulted and then I was invited. I stopped arguing in a harsh, rigid way, became more yielding. My wise adult said, I think my kid just taught me something. Yeah, I've denied myself, the artist within, which is the name of our next talk we're going to get Great. to. Thank you so much, Deborah. Right, thank you, Brenda. And that concludes this week's episode of the Soul Path Sessions podcast with Deborah Mites Pearson and Brenda Littleton. If you'd like to hear more about living a more soulful life, please subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app and be sure to check out the show notes and links below. For more information from Deborah, visit soulpathsessions.com. And for Brenda, brendalittleton.com. Thank you for listening, and remember to follow your soul. It knows the way.